Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Um, is leading that class, and he wants to know your name and your face. So if you're interested, you haven't signed up yet, talk to him. He's great. He'll tell you a good joke, um, and he'll get you signed up for FPU. Um, And now I'm going to read a scripture. So would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Um, We are looking at Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. So we're blessed. Um, and who keep what is written, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all excited? Oh, man, welcome. Hey, uh, you guys can have a seat. Um, so excited to bring the word of God today. This is going to be so great. Welcome to APOC season three. Um, it's, you might be wondering if you were, in, if you were uh, here for a season one and two of Apocalypse, why we are back in uh, chapter one. Um, and uh, that's a great question. Uh, and the reason is because um, we're going to do something really helpful. Where we left off was in chapter 13 with the deception and the power of the beast, which things got real. And instead of starting right there where we left off, we thought what would be cool is to do a recap um, how many of you guys, uh, you know, you watch series of things and you, you depend on the recaps, the previously seen-ons? I depend on these. You know, my kids uh, skip. But for me, my brain, I was talking to Griffin earlier this morning, my brain is constantly deciding how much information to dump 
that's no longer needed. And because I have so many things on my mind when I see an episode of something, uh, I, my brain usually tells me, you need maybe about 50% of that. And by the time I get to the end of a season, my brain is like, you need about none of that. Dump, dump, dump. And by the time I see anything else, I, I, gotta, I need the previously seen. Uh, so that's what this is. This is previously seen on Apocalypse, season one and two. Uh, you guys with me? You ready? Now, it's more than that. I was talking to my father-in-law this morning. It's actually more than that um, because it's big picture. And the word of God is great on a micro level, and it's great on the macro level. And both are good to really get an understanding of truth. And so that's what we're going. We're going to the macro level, the big level. Uh, did you notice, I'm not going to read through all those verses again, but believe it or not, these first nine verses that we just read give us a great launching pad to discuss everything that we talked about in season one and two. Isn't that crazy? Just in nine verses, it gives us a great launching pad. It's really cool. Um, we're not going to reread it, but did you notice the heavy emphasis on Jesus? Did you notice that? Did you pick that up? Uh, this is a revelation. Verse one just says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, now, and the key thing there, the word revelation, the thing that uh, Pastor Tyrone taught us is that keyword, that Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis. And apocalypsis means what is revealed or disclose. The word apocalypse has come to mean like the uh, self-complete destruction of, of the planet. But really what apocalypse means is what's, what is revealed or disclosed. And in the book of Revelation, it really is more about a restoration of all things, and not just a destruction of all things. So let's talk about the purpose, the purpose of the book of Revelation. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this heavy. I've got a lot of notes here. Um, I have the really no big deal job today of covering <laughs> all of season one and two in the in the in the span of um a, a sermon so buckle up it's going to be more teaching than great preaching but i will tell you there's some really good stuff here so i want you to do is get your bible out take some notes hang with me i want to give you an overview of where we're heading we're going to look at three sections uh from that we've covered in this and i'll just give it to you right now the three sections are the message to the churches in chapter one and three the throne room, this, uh, which we pick up later. And then finally, the three sets of judgments, seven judge, judgments. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about those. And to start, let's talk about the purpose. The purpose of the, uh, the book of Revelation is not a series of timeline of future events. That's not the purpose. And now it's easy to get caught up in those things. Those are fun uh, I've heard some great teachings on that, preaching and stuff, but there's really not the purpose of the book. The book was written to, an in, to encourage a per, very persecuted church. And so uh, it's really a hybrid book, Tyrone taught us. It's a hybrid book with three genres. It's an apocalypse, which is a revelation. It's a prophecy and a letter. All three things happening at once. And it's written to encourage these folks who are really having a hard time as, as believers and followers of Jesus. It's really a prophetic revelation and a warning that Jesus still reigns in the middle of tribulation. Are you with me? No, that'll, that'll preach to us today, right? As we look around our planet, it's still something that we want to see today. So here's the historical context. Uh, Jesus meets John on the exiled prison island of Patmos, which is in modern day Turkey. And most believe that most people believe that this John is the last remaining of the 12 disciples of Jesus. 
And uh, so Jesus tells him to write a letter to the seven, seven specific churches in Asia Minor. Seven being important because the number seven is going to be woven throughout this book. Also, an important thing to know about Revelation is that Jewish apocalypse, remember this is a Jewish audience that he's writing to. That's important. And so the Jewish audience that, that John is writing to is familiar with uh, the symbolic um, imagery and numbers that are going to come from Old Testament prophets like Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Ezra. And so for us, we look at this, this content and it sounds pretty strange. It sounds pretty weird. Um, do you have any children in the 80s in the room? Any children in the 80s? A couple of you guys. Children in the 80s? I feel like you are. Right. So if I was to say to the room or to a gathering, and if I was to say, man, my soul was like a busted mixtape, uh, you know, lifeless, tuneless, and lame until the cross pencil of Jesus entered my gears and really restored my grody tape and my Walkman. You, you, you know, children in the 80s, you'd be like, preach, hey. Uh, my kids would be like, well, <clears throat> dance finally lost it. Uh, the, there was that last nerve he always talked about, and he, now he's just, woohoo. Um, because they don't understand the cultural references. They don't know about mixtapes. They don't know about pencils. You got to have that pencil to fix that tape. They don't know about that. So um, it's so bringing the book of Revelation can kind of feel like that sometimes. You're like, I do not understand these Im this imagery. But it would have been familiar to a Jewish audience who was familiar with apocalyptic literature that I already mentioned. All right, so let's say that. That's the kind of historical context. It's not... Very, it's, it's not very likely, let me say it that way, it's not very likely that this book is intended to be some kind of secret predictive code uh, that would only be meaningful to the year 2020. I mean, you know, it's, think about how cruel that would have been to the early church that was struggling. Here you go. I know you're hurting, and some of your family was killed this week for, due to persecution in Jesus. Here's a letter that will make no sense to you. But to the year 2022, they will appreciate it greatly. Thank you. Um, you know, that, that's, that's not, that just makes sense logically. That's not the primary purpose of the book of Revelation. So what we're going to do again uh, is just to say that, that while this book is extremely valuable to Christians of later generations, it has to be grounded and rooted in anchored say it that way, in John's, to John's place, John's time, and John's audience. And that's where we're going to get the most impact from reading the book of Revelation. One more way to say it is this. Look, you can go all day long in figuring out timelines, but ultimately there's a strong chance that part of your timeline is going to be wrong. But listen, if you focus on Jesus, which is, remember what verse 1 says, a revelation of Jesus. So if we're going to, if we just play Where's Waldo? With Jesus in the book of Revelation, we win, right? And really, that's kind of the way we want to live life. And I love that that's the way our church is handling this book. We're just going to play, where's Jesus? <laughs> where's Jesus in this book? So what this book does is it both reveals and conceals two things simultaneously. It's what this apocalypse says, which is very familiar with Jesus' teaching 
When he taught, when he told stories, he would do it that way. He would tell things, and then the disciples would be like, what did that mean? And he would explain. And so he's familiar with doing this. He does this again, I believe, in the book of Revelation with the vision he gives to John. Uh, so let's dive right into it. The first section, again, we're re- recapping in three sections. I'm going to give you three themes. So at least write down those three sections and three themes that will help you as you look at the book of Revelation going forward. The first section is a message to seven churches. The message to seven churches. On this is immediately applicable. There's The symbols are pretty understandable as you look at it. This is the easy stuff to preach. A lot of churches are good with preaching chapter one through set, one through three. It's easier to digest. Um, and uh, the theme that I'm going to give you that goes with this, and I love this theme, is this. Jesus reigns now and forever. Jesus reigns now and forever. Would you say that with me? Jesus reigns now and forever. It's really the message that we can kind of pick up that goes throughout the book of Revelation. Definitely a part of of this first section. I want to read again just real quickly verses 5 through 8, what we just read a moment ago. Okay? So chapter 1. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, By his blood, I'm going to read that one again because, man, that is good word right there. To him who loves us, thank God, right, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Anybody thankful for that verse right there? Um, And made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all Tribes on earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So John sees this amazing vision. And remember, he's in exile uh, in prison for his faith. And he sees Jesus exalted, um, risen and exalted as king over the entire planet. And he's standing among, as we see later, seven burning lights, which we understand later are the churches of Asia Minor. So Jesus, what he does is addresses some specific problems that the churches have. We won't read them all, but, but it's, some of them are apathetic due to wealth. Some of them are morally compromised. Uh, some of the churches are still eating ritual meals. Some of them are sleeping around, um, uh, participating in pagan temples. But others have remained faithful. To Jesus. Everybody say faithful. Faithful is a key word, y'all, for this book. Faithful. They remain faithful to Jesus, suffering harassment and even violent persecution because of their faith. So Jesus comforts all of these churches, these seven churches, by saying this. Things are going to get worse. <laughs> that's, that's the comforting message that Jesus delivers. It's really a warning, but also an encouragement saying, but those who endure will be conquerors. Those who endure will be conquerors. He says, those who, who endure will conquer. Everybody say conquer. Conquer is a really key word, and, and we'll come back to that later. So, so endure and conquer. And so we'll see the reward in the final vision, and I can't wait, I might even get to preach this one. Uh, Tyrone asked me if I want to do it. So this is in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It was a great chapter as so we want to talk about that final reward. Um, but the, uh, the first section, what it does is it sets up the tension of the plot of the book. 
And it asks these kinds of questions. It kind of prompts them in your mind. Will Jesus' people endure? Will they uh, inherit the new world that God has planned for them? And, And this one, why is faithfulness to Jesus described as conquering? Why? So that's our first section. Our second section, it was the throne room in chapters four through five. You guys still with me? I got a lot to go through, so I'm going to run. Uh, chapters four through five of the throne room is a scene change. So we, it, the, the focus has been on earth, and now it's like in one of those scenes in, in films when it's like a flashback or a flash forward, and we change the setting. And now we're in heaven. And uh, the theme that I'm going to give you for this next part of the section, but also uh, a main theme of the book of Revelation is this. Jesus' kingdom is supernatural. Jesus' kingdom is supernatural. And uh, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate said, "Uh, so you're a king. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And what Jesus was saying, what he was trying to say all along is that this kingdom is real, but it's supernatural. In other words, it is above what our five senses, our natural senses, can either take in or describe. It's supernatural. You with me? And so John, he has this moment uh, where he's transported to heaven and he sees the supernatural, the uh, God's throne room. And he describes it, again, with imagery that's drawn from the Old Testament prophets, Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, Ezra, others. And so we see this wild scene of these uh, creatures and elders um, that are surrounding God's throne. And really, what I think these, these creatures could be is, is a culmination of all of the creative efforts that God has put forth on earth. This, this may be a, a representative of, of God's creation and all of humankind. And they are surrounding him, and they are giving him faithful worship, allegiance to the one true creator. And they're saying, holy Holy, holy, night and day, night and day, night and day, let incense arise. It's a song we've been singing lately. Um, And so that's what they're doing with this throne room scene, this kind of timeout that John sees. And then in God's hand, we see this scroll. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals. And maybe it's possible that this this scroll, I mean, a scroll contains what? A message, right? So the message can't be opened just yet, we we find out. Um, And maybe the the message is that uh, how God's kingdom is going to finally come to earth and be where there's a marriage of heaven and earth. But we find out, what John finds out, is that no one is able to open the scroll. I don't want to pause right here. Just quick pause. Sometimes it feels like that in our lives. You know, we just reach this point. And it feels like, you know, there is no possible good ending to this story. No one is able to open this scroll. You know, no one is able to fix this situation. No one is able to restore this thing that I've, I'm up against. And so here's the big idea for today. The big idea 
that encompasses all three themes in the three sections is this. It's just simple. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. So John says, you know, he learns that no one's able to open the scroll. But then he finds out, twist ending, someone is able to open the scroll. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah and the root of David, which are Old Testament imagery, description of the messianic king. Uh, And let's see that in verse 5 of of chapter 5. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. What we know about um, Scripture is that this person is who? This is Jesus. Yeah. This person is Jesus, the line of the tribe of Judah. I want to pause right here again and just say uh, to my fellow uh, Americans. This is a good moment um, to evaluate our culture. It's so easy to let culture inform our understanding of events and to let culture inform us on how we're to behave and act. And I say that because um, there's some, especially when we talk about things and we use words that are also used in scripture. Things like lions and the lamb. And, and I, I, I mention that here because um, I'll just go ahead and well, let me show you a picture of, of a guy. His name is um, Sean Whalen. Maybe you're familiar with Sean Whalen. Uh, he uh, is the founder of a uh, organization called the Great American Syndicate. Uh, he's amassed a large following as a speaker, an author, and uh, a creator of this apparel brand called Lions Not Sheep. Are you familiar with this? Anybody familiar with Lions Not Sheep? It's uh, really popular, and I found that that it's interesting because a lot of my friends, uh, believers, disciples of Christ, um, uh, are are fond of this brand. And by the way, I just want to say uh, we are not a political church. And if you love this brand, I'm you know I'm with you. We are. Well, I got nothing against you. What I will say is I want to be careful. We want just what we want to do with any cultural message that we get is to evaluate it against the light of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. Every time, every song, every film, every message, we want to evaluate it, put our filters on and evaluate it against the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to do that just quickly because I was advertised this shirt, you know, love uh, lions, not sheep. And of course, it's a political message. It's really political. Sean describes himself as a formerly, formerly religious person, no longer religious. But this... Um, this concept really sprung out of a very militant message, which is like, hey, people are living like sheep. They're living like sheep um, here in America. It's, it's a driven to Americans. And the audience is Americans. We're like, hey, we're not going to be sheep anymore. We want to be lions. And um, I think it's interesting just because of how often Scripture actually uh, calls God's people sheep, right? Like we're described as sheep. Um, uh, almost exclusively. And so I think that's interesting. Um, and another uh, one that I was just advertised, another shirt that I was just advertised to uh, a week or two ago was this one. Um, it says, Obey God, Defy Tyrants, which, by the way, is a really cool-looking graphic. It looks really cool. But notice it has this uh, scripture. I don't know if you can see it. It says Acts 5.29. So whereas uh, Lions Not Sheep doesn't have any 
um, kind of connection to scripture. This one does, so I especially want to evaluate it. Does this, does this graphic line up with the scripture that it particularly references? And I think that's important only as we evaluate this passage of scripture and the book of Revelations, because the book of Revelation is absolutely centered around a holy war. And the verse from uh, Acts 5.29, it's, it is referencing a scene where some disciples stood up and said, we should obey men. We should not obey men. We should obey God rather than men. And so some people took that. They applied that scripture to this uh, political concept. And they said, well, we should um, defy, obey God means defy tyrants. And actually, Historically, I think this all goes all the way back to Thomas Jefferson and either Thomas Jefferson or Ben Franklin adopted this as part of their seal. It was a different variation of that. But I want to just say is again, not a political message, but because we don't, we're not about that here. But what we want to do is weigh these messages in light of a, not a political affiliation or how we vote. But what we want to do is, is evaluate that in terms of how do we live in the kingdom? What should, how should that inform my person. How do I see myself? Okay, so let's back to the scripture here. John, uh, we, the passage we just read, it just said that the lion of the, of the tribe of Judah is able to open the scrolls. That's what John hears. Everybody say hears. That's what John hears, but it's not what he sees. He turns to look for the lion. Where's that lion? Where's, where's Aslan, you know? And he, there's no lion. Instead, look at verse 6. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So John's expectation, uh, based on what he heard, did not line up with what he saw. Again, here's our big idea today. It's not what it looks like. Say it with me. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. John turns to see a lion, but instead he sees a bloodied, sacrificed lamb who is now standing and reigning. So what the disciples, what all the people who were following Jesus expected to see was not what they saw. They were expecting a militant king. They were expecting a lion, not a lamb. And what, what happened was the Old Testament promise, going back all the way the culmination from all the way back to the promise to Abraham. The promise of this future victorious nation, this future victorious kingdom, was inaugurated, this new kingdom, inaugurated through the crucified Messiah. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. How did Jesus overcome his enemies? By dying for them. He became the true Passover lamb that was, that was hinted at in Exodus 12. And because of the resurrection, the cross itself, which was a symbol of defeat, became a symbol. I mean, we have them on our keychains. We have them on our churches. It's a symbol of what? Of victory. It's a symbol of redemption. This speaks to us when we're hurting. 
If you're hurting today, if you've been struggling, if the struggle has been very real, this speaks to us. Revelation speaks to us in this moment because sometimes all the faith, can I be real? Can we just be real? Sometimes all the faith in the world doesn't change your circumstance. Sometimes we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And all the faith declarations in the world don't change our setting. We're still there. But what we're promised is not that because of our prayer, every mountain will move, but sometimes we're promised that Jesus is going to be with us as we're walking. That we're not alone. That's the for sure promise. We are not alone. And, you know, the faith is what Revelation says is endure, continue. That's how we know that we're part of, the, we're part of this story is because we don't give up hope. We continue to pray. We continue to pray, proclaim God's truth. And we don't give up. You with me? This is an encouragement for us. Because what? Sometimes people are sick. Sometimes people are hurting. And sometimes people die. And they die in faith. Look at read Hebrews chapter 11. The, you know, that's a great thing. When we talk about faith, a lot of ch faith churches. Okay, but read Hebrews chapter 11. It says, all of these died in faith. And so the real purpose sometimes of faith is to just say, I believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and not seen. I just, I'm just, that's what, I'm going to say it again. It's not what it looks like. Are you with me? Sometimes that's what faith is. It's not what it looks like. Okay, I got to run. Woo! Uh, so, um, our faith hasn't failed when our setting hasn't changed, when our circumstance hasn't changed. No, he endures, he who endures to the end conquers. And so this section of the vision, uh, section two, concludes with a worship service as the one who conquered, the creator, the redeemer, the slain lamb begins to open the scroll. And uh, there's this amazing worship service. And what we did, as I recall, is we actually, at, uh, at this point, we had a worship service. We did this extended time of worship here. And so you can go check uh, out that message or, or what have you. But it was great. So this moment, as Jesus opens the scroll, is a symbol of his divine authority to really give history and take history to its conclusion, its rightful conclusion. So that's our second section. And our third section is... The set of seven judgments. There's three sets of seven judgments. You got seals, you got trumpets, and what we haven't gotten to yet in our series is the bulls. Now, I won't go deep dive into this for the sake of time, but what I do want to say, let me get out my, my trusty clock here just so I don't uh, lose track. Um, what I do want to say is that some people say uh, believe that these set of divine judgments, these three sets, are linear, and that it just moves from, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and um, that's either happened in the past sometime, it's happening now, or it will happen in the future. That really sums up all of the scholars <laughs> on, the, on the subject. And um, there's also those who believe that this three sets of judgments are actually three different perspectives of the same 
uh, time period, uh, the se- these seven judgments, and they are happening sometime between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return. So that kind of gives you a, a sum of, of what could be happening here as we read this. Remember, we're not after the timeline. What we're after is where's Jesus, right? Where's, where's that striped sweater? Where's Jesus? Um, that's the Waldo reference, if you're not familiar with Waldo. All right. So, um, so what we see is, I'm just going to look at the first set of judgments. That's the seals. Remember, the scroll was sealed, and so there's, there's these seals. So Jesus opens them. The first uh, four seals are described as something you're probably familiar with, the four horses of the apocalypse, these four horsemen. And we see them, these symbols, as war, uh, conquest, famine, and death. War, conquest, famine, and death. Which, let's just be real. This is a tragically average day in human history, right? This is a Tuesday, uh, is what this is. War, conquest, famine, and death. Um, The fifth seal is the Christian martyrs whose innocent blood cries up before God like smoke from the altar of incense. And what we're told is that these innocent martyrs are told, they're saying, how long, Lord, how long? And and they're told to rest a little longer because more are going to perish. Now, we're not told why that's going to happen, but we are told that it won't last forever, which again is a good word for those of us who felt like no one's able to open the scroll. Okay, remember, it's not what it looks like. And it won't last forever. Are you with me? And the sixth seal is this, is, is God's ultimate response to their cry. And God's ultimate response is what's known as the great day of the Lord that was described in Isaiah 2 and in Joel 2. I've been reading through all of the Old Testament this year and really immersing myself. So it's really fun to see that in as we get to Revelation. And uh, what John um, now sees is a pause in the action. Pause, timeout. We're in this, uh, this, this crazy uh, judgment scene. And um, it's, we returned to earth, by the way, at this moment. And so now uh, there's this pause in this action. And John hears... Um, something. Remember before uh, we saw this happen. John hears uh, the number, what he sees is an angel, an angel who has a signet ring, and he's going around and sealing those who are suffering, those who are persecuted and enduring that persecution. And he seals them. And he, the number of those who are sealed, he hears, is 144,000. Have you heard that before? The number of 144,000, if you, no big deal. Um, but it's, it's kind of thrown out there. There are some uh, elements of Christianity that believe very strongly in that number and that only 144,000 can be, people can be saved. By the way, the next verse dispels that completely. That's not true. So um, what John hears is 144,000 people are, are sealed. What this reminds us of, again... The Jewish apocalypse is delivered in familiar concepts, symbols, imagery, and numbers that are already delivered in other ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature. And so, uh, in other Jewish literature, period. And so this reminds us, this moment is is like a military census that we see in Numbers chapter 1. If you want to go read Numbers chapter 1, you're instantly going to be like, oh, okay. 
This is kind of like what I'm seeing right now. And there's 12 tribes of Israel, and they're counted, and the number that John hears is there are 12,000 in each 12 tribes, which brings us to, I know you were told there was going to be no math today, so I'll just do it for you. Uh, 12 times 12 is 144. All right, so we got 144,000 um, people. So that's the number that John hears. And you already know where I'm going with this, right? It's not what he sees. Yeah, you guys pay attention. So um, it, what he saw uh, was this. Let's read it in verse 9 of chapter 7. Um, so Revelation 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Well, could you count to 144,000? You could. But no one can count this number. From every tribe. Is, is it only uh, the Israel tribes here? No. Every tribe, every people, every language. And they are standing, everybody say standing. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. I want to back up for a moment. Because what we saw in the, uh, the day of judgment, the great day of the Lord in the sixth seal is as that, as that day, as that seal is opened and this judgment is delivered, all the people of earth cry out this thing. They all say this, who can stand? Who can stand? And what I love is now we, we go just a little bit further and we see what John heard is not what he sees. What he sees is this military army of worshiping saints who are from every tribe, every people, every language, and they are warring by worshiping. Some, come on, somebody's preaching today. This is the word of the Lord, y'all. All right, so uh, he sees the worshiping saints and their lamb, again, is leading them. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. Y'all, sometimes <clears throat> standing looks like kneeling. Sometimes victory, it looks like defeat. Sometimes fighting, it looks like surrender. Sometimes, this is for somebody today, sometimes breakthrough comes in the middle of your breakdown. Anybody been there? And sometimes lions, they look like sheep. It's not what it looks like. You know, as, as Americans, we're hearing a lot of things. We got a lot of cultural messages come our way. What we need is an apocalypse, a revelation, a vision. And this is our third theme. Our third theme is this. Jesus, Jesus church conquers through faithfulness. We hinted at this earlier. He who endures conquers. Jesus' church conquers through faithfulness. It's really a continuation of our second theme. So John sees this messianic army of God's kingdom, which is made up of people of, of every nation, and they're fulfilling God's ancient promise to Abraham. And if you remember that, he said as many as as many as the stars in the sky, as many sand, 
uh, as much sand in this that you see on the seashore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You're, this is gonna be what your nation is gonna look like. And so that promise is is finally fulfilled here in Revelation. This multi-ethnic army of the Lamb who can now stand. Everybody say stand. They can now stand before God. Why stand? Stand is an important idea. Remember, it's imagery. Because to stand, uh, we have this idea of withstanding, right? And remember, we are encouraged to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And how do we do that? Ephesians 6 tells us that we do that by putting on the whole armor of God. Anybody remember that? Whole armor of God by which you can stand. You'll see that word stand over and over again in Ephesians 6 as it talks about the whole armor of God. Man, this guy likes to reference scripture. It's good. It's good stuff. All right, so uh, the second way that we stand, though, in this passage is not to stand against the enemy, but it's to stand in the presence of God. How can we do that? In the, light of, in the light of his judgment, in the light of the great day of the Lord, who can stand? And I love how Paul said it in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Oh, y'all, just highlight this verse. It's a great verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look, if the enemy can't kill us, he will uh, put us to shame. You know, anybody been there? Maybe he can't wipe you out, but he can kill you in shame. And the, the thing I've heard of being, you know, my dad, for those of you who don't know, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in the church. And I've heard, as a part of that, I've heard, um, you know, well-meaning people, um, especially in the, in the faith culture, immersed in faith and, and declarations, making declarations, faith declarations about healing and deliverance and prosperity and those kinds of things. And uh, if, we're not if we're not careful, our focus can be wrong. Hear me in this. This is important, okay? It's not about um, praying that prayer of faith. What it is is about what's our focus when we pray that prayer? Because I've heard people say that they, they attended church and they just felt shame because they were sick or they felt shame because their kid was sick or they felt shame because of a struggle that they were going through in their home or their marriage or their finances. And they just felt like they couldn't stand. Someone was talking about that to me recently. They attended a service and they just felt, they were feeling really great before they went in and all of a sudden they heard someone talking and they just felt ashamed because of their current circumstances. And this is the enemy's work. If you feel this, it is the enemy's work. And you can call it for what it is. You can take that thought captive. Here's, here is our one response in the light of suffering. Our one response is this. Always this. You see it in Revelation. You see it through everywhere else. In the whole counsel of God, here's what we understand. Our one response to suffering is this. Focus on Jesus. Period. That's our one response. You're not doing it wrong if you're focusing on Jesus. You are not doing it wrong. Whatever prayer you're praying, if you are focusing on Jesus, you're doing it right. Focus, faithfully focus on Jesus. If your focus is on pain and your struggle, 
let me say it again. If your focus in prayer, if your focus in, in studying scripture is on the pain, is on the struggle, if your focus is on the past, if your focus is on the future, if your focus is even on the battle, the overcoming, you are prime target for shame. If you're white knuckling it, you are a prime target for shame. So what's our focus in such times? When we are struggling, when we are facing tribulation, the book of Revelation is about tribulation, when we are facing it, what's our one focus? I said it a moment ago, our focus is Jesus. That's it. It sounds pretty simple, right? Easier said than done, but I promise you, if your marriage is under attack, where's your focus right now? This is my encouragement to you. I'm just speaking from experience. I know what this is like. If you are struggling, if, if you've got sickness in your home, where is your focus? You know, there's lots of resources that we can take advantage of and lots of prayers that we can pray, and those are not wrong. But if your focus is on those things and the outcome, then we're a prime target for shame. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's not, somebody say it with me one more time, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. The cost of quitting is greater than the effort of enduring. Okay? Um, so shame, the enemy will keep you down. He'll, he'll tell you that you should just go ahead and quit. But that's a lie. It's not what it looks like. So the army in Revelation chapter 7 can stand. Why can they stand? Because they are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Are you with me so far? I'm, I'm trying to bring it home. But this is good stuff, you guys. This is great. This is the bird's eye view of Revelation. Um, chapters 1 through uh, 13, where we've been. So uh, they have been able, they're able to stand because they endure. Because they're faithful. Because they didn't give up and they didn't quit. They're, they're conquerors now, not because they killed their enemies, but because they suffered. It's not what it looks like. They suffered and they were witnesses. It was one of the key words that Pastor Tyrone taught us and walked us through as part of this series. The idea of a witness and being a witness. They were witnesses, just like the lamb. He was a lion. But he was a lamb. So the seventh and final seal of the scroll is broken. And before that scroll is open, we see seven warning trumpets. We won't can't recap those trumpets. We won't look at the bowls yet. Again, it's possible that these are a retelling of the same events or they're different events. The key focus is not what's the timeline, but what is my response in the light of persecution and judgment? What's my response? There's a good chance that I'm not even going to be here for any of this if this is something that plays out uh, in the future. So what is my response to this right now? What should I do to the tribulation that I see right now? And then we see that God appoints two witnesses, two witnesses that are prophetic representations to the nations. Now, these could be two prophets that rise up in the future. It's possible that these are also the symbols of the prophetic role of the everyday believer, you and I, and what we're supposed to be doing is taking up the mantle of Moses and Elijah by delivering God's truth and, again, by being a witness of the gospel of Jesus. Either way, what we now see on the scene is where, where we ended in our last uh, uh, episode of the apocalypse, which was this horrible beast appears. 
out of nowhere. And he conquers, in quotation mark, he conquers the witnesses and he kills them. Say with me. It's not what it looks like. Yeah, you know. All right. It's not what it looks like. Not in Revelation and not in the kingdom of God. So God brings them back to life. He vindicates these witnesses before their persecutors. And this is really cool. Many among the nations, finally, as a result of this, this incident, many nations finally repent and give glory to the one true creator, God, in that day of the Lord. This is what's interesting to me as I read this. All of these sets of judgments, there was enough there to have repented before this moment. And it takes me back to uh, the plagues, plagues of Egypt, if you remember that story in Exodus. Y'all, after, by the time we get to those uh, flies, I'm done, right? I'm out. I repent, Lord. Frogs, I'm done, right? But no, what happened to them was their hearts were hardened. And this is curious here because it seems like the same thing is happening here. But So it wasn't the, all the warning judgments and the seals and the trumpets that generated repentance. What was it? The witnesses. Mm. Mm. The Lamb's scroll is open. And it reveals the mission of the church. The church conquers. But how does the church conquer? Like lions? Or like lambs? I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit preach that in your heart today. How does the church conquer? How do we do it? There's some dying involved for one, I will say. Dying to self. We have a role model in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself even to the death of the cross. So, as I close, did I lose you too long? I'm sorry, I'm right up against my clock, but I just want to say this. Remember, it's not what it looks like. Jesus reigns, theme one, Jesus reigns now and forever. Number two, Jesus' kingdom is supernatural. Number three, Jesus' church conquers through faithfulness. You with me? That's the bird's eye view. The book of Revelation gives us a glimpse into the spiritual realm, that supernatural kingdom. Jesus reigns. Even when it looks like darkness is creeping in, even when it looks like there is no hope, Jesus reigns. Jesus' kingdom is supernatural. So that's why we don't wrestle against flesh. And blood. It's easy to forget where the battle line truly lies. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this message. I'm such a geek. Lord of the Rings. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, these little hobbits. Forgive me if you're not into Lord of the Rings. You haven't read Tolkien. But um, these, uh, the, the true battle, you got Aragorn and, and all of the... the uh, Battles are this intense battle is at the front of this dark gate and all of the enemy's eyes are on this moment. But the real battle was happening with two little hobbits who just kept walking. They walked through swamps. They walked over mountains and cliffs, through 
dangerous passages. They just had to keep walking. And ultimately, the way that they won, the battle was won by ultimately letting go and surrendering, letting everything go. And really, that's, that's us too, you know? We don't win by external pressures. We're not going to win by legislation. We are, and I'm, this is not a political message, vote for who you want to vote for, but <clears throat> we will not win that battle. That's not the battle that we're called to as believers. That is a battle. It's not our primary battle, right? Support, by all means. Vote, by all means. Donate, by all means. But that is not our primary. If, if, if that becomes our focus, we're primed for shame. We're primed for loss. We are primed for, as targets of the enemy, Jesus' church conquers through what? Faithfulness. Faithfulness to what? Jesus. Faithfulness to Jesus. I'm going to cling to Jesus. I'm going to make sure that my heart... Uh, Griffin sang it this morning, you know, cleanse my heart, cleanse my hands. This is the heartbeat of revelation. We are in the end times. It's not a question of when we in it. This is it. This is what it looks like. We're in it. And what's our role? We can't wait. We don't have time to wait until some other time to get right and live the way that God intended us to live. It's now or never. In the, so the battle's raging. And my question to you is, how are you and I fighting? How are we fighting? Like never before, our country is primed for renewal. Again, the renewal will come through the supernatural. God's kingdom is supernatural. I want to invite you to stand, but keep your eyes open. Normally, I ask you to bow your heads right now, but I want you to keep your eyes open and just quick look around the room. Quick look around the room. There are people that are online that are with us right now as well. And I want you to just take this moment and then then a focus. Witness. You're in a room full of witnesses. Revelation is a revealing. And it's a, it's a part of our role as believers is to operate in that function and to, and to just say, allow me to be a witness. And a witness of what? A witness of Jesus. A witness of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the prayer that we pray is, Lord, open the eyes. Open the eyes of those who are around me that are hurting, that, that need repentance. And let me be that example that stirs repentance. All the judgment in the world, all the condemnation in the world won't do it. All the finger pointing in the world will not do it. But the grace, the unmitigated grace of Jesus. Well, it is the loving kindness that lead the need to repentance. How about you? Thank you, Jesus. Final verse is this. And then the, the team's going to lead us in a final song and a decision moment here. But a final verse is Revelation 1-3. Go ahead and look at it on the screen. God blesses the one who reads the word of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. What do you hear? What do you see? It's not what it looks like. Bow your head. Encourage response here. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, the time is now.
Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us right now. Would you reveal? Give us a, a revelation of the, of the kind that's a, a parting of the spiritual clouds. That's a breaking open and an enlightening. Oh God, I pray you'd forgive us for focusing on the ground, for kicking the dirt, for playing in the mud when you've called us to the throne room. Forgive us, Lord, and I pray that you, as you reveal yourself to us, that you would empower us to be the kind of witnesses that you prepared us to be. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.